Were sacrifices and burnt offerings in the Book of Mormon done appropriately according to the Law of Moses? How many different temples were mentioned in the Book of Mormon? What does it mean to receive a new name? How do the Book of Mormon prophets disagree with Joseph Smith when it comes to the nature of God? The answers to these questions and more, coming up. Hi, Max here. Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This review covers the lesson plan for Mosiah chapters 1 through 3. Please subscribe to be notified of our upcoming videos and podcasts. For the sake of time, I will not cite all the parallel phrases and words from the Old and New Testaments that are in the Book of Mormon text. While it can be argued that some of the parallels are only a coincidence, some are so strong that it is impossible not to conclude that their true source is the King James Version of the Old and New Testament. For a complete transcript of this lesson, please click on the link in the description below. Let's recap for a moment what has led up to the book of Mosiah. The man Mosiah led the Nephites out of the land of Nephi into the wilderness while they eventually came upon another civilization known as the people of Zarahemla. These people, also known as Mulekites, had come from Jerusalem about the same time as Lehi and his people. Mosiah and his followers decided to settle in the land of Zarahemla. The two people groups joined together and Mosiah became their king. Mosiah's son Benjamin became the next king of Zarahemla. During this reign, the Lamanites came from the land of Nephi and waged war against the people in Zarahemla. King Benjamin led his people as they drove the Lamanites out of the area. As we pick up the story here in the book of Mosiah, it is a time of peace. King Benjamin is getting old and is preparing to turn the government over to one of his sons. The book of Mosiah is written in the third person because it is Mormon who, in 385 AD, is telling the story. He has abridged the large plates of Nephi and is now giving us his abridgment or synopsis of those plates. The book of Mosiah, Alma, Helaman, 3rd Nephi, 4th Nephi, and Mormon are all abridgments of the large plates by Mormon. I hope that explanation helps. And one more observation. Mosiah lacks a headnote or summary of the book's content, which is a deviation from the rest of the Book of Mormon so far. Mosiah 1.1 And now there was no more contention in all the land of Zarahemla, among all the people who belonged to King Benjamin, so that King Benjamin had continual peace all the remainder of his days. Mosiah 1.2 And it came to pass that he had three sons, and he called their names Mosiah, and Helorim, and Helaman. And he caused that they should be taught in all the language of his fathers, that thereby they might become men of understanding, and that they might know concerning the prophecies which had been spoken by the mouths of their fathers, which were delivered them by the hand of the Lord. Does it make you wonder which language his fathers used? Did he teach them Hebrew? Or did he teach them Reformed Egyptian? We are about to find out. The words, quote, and he called their names, is also in Genesis 26, 18. Mosiah 1, 3. And he also taught them concerning the records, which were engraven on the plates of brass, saying, My sons, I would that ye should remember, that were it not for these plates, which contain these records and these commandments, we must have suffered in ignorance, even at this present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. 
The phrase, quote, mysteries of God, is used by the Apostle Paul once in 1 Corinthians 4.1. Paul also uses the phrase, quote, mysteries of God, in Colossians 2.2, and John uses it in Revelation 10.7. No other Old or New Testament books use this phrase. In spite of it being unique to the New Testament Christianity after 30 AD, the Book of Mormon uses this phrase eight times as early as 600 BC. Mosiah 1.4 For it were not possible that our father Lehi could have remembered all these things, to have taught them to his children, except it were for the help of these plates. For he having been taught in the language of the Egyptians, therefore he could read these engravings, and teach them to his children that thereby they could teach them to their children, and so fulfilling the commandments of God, even down to this present time. Does it make sense that those Hebrew Jews learned to speak, read, and write in Egyptian? Was Lehi, a 7th century B.C. Israelite, fluent in Reformed Egyptian? We need to keep in mind the Egyptians and Jews hated each other. Mosiah 1.5 I say unto you, my sons, were it not for these things, which have been kept and preserved by the hand of God, that we might read and understand of his mysteries, and have his commandments always before our eyes, that even our fathers would have dwindled in unbelief, and we should have been like unto our brethren the Lamanites, who know nothing concerning these things, or even do not believe them when they are taught them, because of the traditions of their fathers, which are not correct." Now Benjamin bears testimony of his sons that the brass plates and the plates of Nephi are true. Mosiah 1.6 O oh, my sons, I would that ye should remember that these sayings are true, and also that these records are true. And behold also the plates of Nephi which contain the records and the sayings of our fathers from the time they left Jerusalem until now, and they are true. And we can know of their surety because we have them before our eyes. Mosiah 1.7 And now, my sons, I would that ye should remember to search them diligently, that ye may profit thereby. And I would that ye should keep the commandments of God, that ye may prosper in the land according to the promises which the Lord made unto our fathers. There's that prosperity gospel teaching again. The words, quote, that ye may prosper in, is also in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. Mosiah 1.8 And many more things did King Benjamin teach his sons, which are not written in this book. The phrase, quote, which are not written in this book, is also in John 20, verse 30. Mosiah 1, verses 9 through 10, King Benjamin was elderly and about to die, so he told his son Mosiah II, named after his grandfather, to gather all the people in the land together at the temple in order to announce Mosiah II as their new king and ruler. The Nephites built a total of three temples that were known in the Book of Mormon. One location in the land of Nephi, see Nephi 5, verses 8 and 16. This one, located in the land of Zarahemla, see Mosiah 1, verse 18. And one in the land of Bountiful, see 3 Nephi 1, verse 11. Mosiah 1.9 The words, quote, waxed old, is also in Joshua 23.1, and, quote, go the way of all the earth, is also in 1 Kings 2.2. 2. 
Mosiah 1.11 And moreover, I shall give this people a name, that thereby they may be distinguished above all the people which the Lord God hath brought out of the land of Jerusalem. And this I do, because they have been a diligent people in keeping the commandments of the Lord. The people who came to the temple that day received instructions, according to this verse, receiving a new name. I'm sure King Benjamin was referring to a single corporate name for the whole body of his people. But it's coincidental that as a part of the modern LDS temple endowment ceremony, each church member receives a new name which they are told they should always remember and which they must keep sacred and never reveal, except at a certain place. Every Latter-day Saint, male and female, who goes to the temple on any given day of the year receives the exact same name, regardless of which temple they attend around the world. To see collections of new names associated with the schedule dates, refer to Temple Name Oracle on the Internet. Mosiah 1, verse 12. And I give unto them a name that never shall be blotted out, except it be through transgression. This new name for Benjamin's people will set them apart from other people, and the name is not Mormon or LDS. As the Lord gave Abraham, Sariah, Jacob, and Saul the new names Abraham, Sarah, Israel, and Paul, it symbolizes that they were now new people in the conjunction with the blessings that come from covenanting with the Lord. We will read here how King Benjamin uses similar symbolism as he instructs his people to receive another name, the name of Christ. Mosiah 1, verses 13-14 Benjamin tells his son, Mosiah II, that if the people fall into transgression and become wicked, that the Lord will cease to protect them from their enemies, the Lamanites. Mosiah 1.13 The words, quote, a wicked and adulterous people, is similar to Matthew 16.4. Mosiah 1.15 And it came to pass that after King Benjamin had made an end of these sayings to his son, that he gave him charge concerning all the affairs of the kingdom. Mosiah 1.16 We see that the Nephites, after 470 years, still have the brass plates, the large plates of Nephi, the sword of Laban, that Nephi used to murder Laban, and the magic compass ball. And moreover, he also gave him charge concerning the records, which were engraven on the plates of brass, and also the plates of Nephi, and also the sword of Laban, and the ball or director, which led our fathers through the wilderness, which was prepared by the hand of the Lord, that thereby they might be led, every one according to the heed and diligence which they gave unto him. Mosiah 117 Therefore, as they were unfaithful, they did not prosper nor progress in their journey, but were driven back and incurred the displeasure of God upon them. And therefore they were smitten with famine and sore afflictions to stir them up in remembrance of their duty. The words, quote, in remembrance of, is also in Luke 1.54 and 2 Peter 1.12. Mosiah 1.18 and now it came to pass that Mosiah went and did as his father had commanded him, and proclaimed unto all the people who were in the land of Zarahemla, that thereby they might gather themselves together to go up to the temple to hear the words which his father should speak unto them. Chapters 2 through 5 of Mosiah form what is known as King Benjamin's Address. Mosiah 2, 
verses 1 through 2. There were so many people gathered together at the temple for this event that they had to have a tower erected for them to hear King Benjamin's speech. No sound system in them days. Mosiah 2.1 The words, quote, go up to the temple, is similar to Luke 18.10. Mosiah 2.3 And they also took of the firstlings of their flocks, that they might offer sacrifice and burnt offerings according to the law of Moses. The words, quote, of the firstlings of their flocks, is similar to Genesis 4.4. The Nephites were still living under the law of Moses, while at the same time teaching and believing in Christ. If you were an avid reader of the Book of Mormon, and for the first time in your life read the Old Testament, it would cause you to wonder why no one under the Old Covenant knew who Jesus Christ was. Why did the Jews in the New World know all about Jesus, when the Jews in the Old World knew nothing about who Jesus Christ was? The only logical conclusion is that the author or authors of the Book of Mormon were living in the 19th century and reinventing history. Instead of helping the case for authenticity of the Book of Mormon, Mosiah 2.3 actually shows that the author of the Book of Mormon didn't understand the Law of Moses. According to the Law of Moses, the firstlings of their flocks were never offered as burnt offerings or sacrifices. All firstlings belonged to the Lord and could not be counted as a man's personal property, whereas all burnt offerings or sacrifices for sin was selected from one's own personal property. All the firstlings of the flocks, as the Lord's property, came into the hands of the high priest, and through the high priest it could be offered up as a peace offering, but never as a burnt offering or sin offering. See Exodus 13, verse 2 and 12, and Exodus 22, verses 29 through 30. This mistake in the writing of the Book of Mormon shows that the author was unfamiliar with the Jewish laws concerning offerings. Mosiah 2.4 The sacrifices were also to give thanks to God for protection from their enemies and for the peace that they were certainly enjoying in the land. Mosiah 2.5 And it came to pass that when they came up to the temple, they pitched their tents round about, every man according to his family, consisting of his wife and his sons and his daughters and their sons and their daughters, from the eldest down to the youngest every family being separate one from another. It's similar to the 19th century revival camp in North America. The words, quote, round about every man, is also in 2 Kings 11.8. Mosiah 2.6. They set up their tents with their doors facing the temple in order to hear the king. Guess they were anticipating a very long sermon. Mosiah 2.7. For the multitude being so great that King Benjamin could not teach them all within the walls of the temple, therefore he caused a tower to be erected, that thereby his people might hear the words which he should speak unto them. The words, quote, the walls of the temple, is similar to Ezekiel 41.20. Interesting that he would have brought all into the temple, if room allowed. That would have meant that all of the people either had temple recommends or that the temple itself wasn't anything like the ancient temple in Jerusalem. Mosiah 2.8 Benjamin began his speech from the tower, but some people couldn't hear him. So he commissioned some men to write down his sermon and deliver it to those who were beyond the sound of his voice. Practically speaking, how did they write down his sermon? Did they engrave it on metal? 
which they would have to have an extra blank metal sheet available. Did they write it on parchment paper? What language did they write it in? Hebrew or Reformed Egyptian? Just wondering. Mosiah 2.9 King Benjamin's sermon actually begins in verse 9. And these are the words which he spake, and caused to be written, saying, My brethren, all ye that have assembled yourselves together, you that can hear my words which I shall speak unto you this day, for I have not commanded you to come up hither to trifle with the words which I shall speak, but that you should hearken unto me, and open your ears that ye may hear, and your hearts that ye may understand, and your minds that the mysteries of God may be unfolded to your view. Mosiah 2, 10-15 Benjamin wants them to know that he is just a mortal man who has been chosen to be the ruler and king over the people. He is not looking to get rich off the people or take advantage because of his position. He has not even burdened them with taxes. He reminds them that he has taught them to keep the commandments of God. He says all of this so that he can answer with a clear conscience before them and God. Mosiah 2.10, the words, quote, I of myself, is also in John 8.42. Mosiah 2.12, this verse ends by saying, quote, nor any manner of riches of you, end quote. It was changed in the 1964 edition from the 1830 edition, which originally read, quote, nor no manner of riches of you, end quote. So from no to any. Mosiah 2.13, the words, quote, neither have I suffered, is also in Job 31, verse 30. And, quote, keep the commandments of the Lord, is also in Deuteronomy 6, 17. Mosiah 2, 14. The words, quote, with mine own hands, is in 2 Thessalonians 3, 17. And, quote, grievous to be born, is also in Luke eleven forty six. And, quote, these things which I have spoken, is similar to John 16.1. Next, King Benjamin emphasizes the importance of serving one another. Mosiah 2.16. This verse starts out rather redundantly. Behold, I say unto you, that because I said unto you that I had spent my days in your service, I do not desire to boast, for I have only been in the service of God. Mosiah 2.17. One of the most famous statements in the entire Book of Mormon. And behold, I tell you these things, that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. It is my opinion that King Benjamin is portrayed in the Book of Mosiah as a symbol or type of Christ. Just listen to the next few verses. Mosiah 2.18 Behold, ye have called me your king. And if I, whom ye call your king, do labor to serve you, then ought not ye to labor to serve one another? The words, quote, serve one another, is also in Galatians 5.13. Mosiah 2.19 And behold also, if I, whom ye call your king, who has spent his days in your service, and yet has been in the service of God, do merit any thanks from you, oh, how you ought to thank your heavenly king. I do appreciate that thought of giving thanks and credit to God. As he continues, King Ben teaches us that we can never put God in a position of owing us. Mosiah 2, verses 20-21 If the Nephites praise the God who created them, 
who has preserved them and granted them to live in peace and gave them breath to live each day, and they serve him with their whole souls, they would still be unprofitable servants. It is impossible to ever put God into a position of being in debt to us. The fact is, we owe everything to God. Mosiah 2.20, the phrase, quote, peace one with another, is also in Mark 9.50. Mosiah 2.21, the words, quote, live and move, is also in Acts 17.28, and, quote, unprofitable servants, is in Luke 17.10. Mosiah 2, verses 22-25, all that God requires of them in return is to keep his commandments, and if they will keep his commandments, he will bless and prosper them. And also, they won't have reason to boast. They will always be indebted to God. Mosiah 2.24 The words, quote, As he hath commanded, is also in Deuteronomy 6.25, and, quote, to boast, is in 2 Corinthians 10.16. Mosiah 2.26 And I, even I, whom ye call your king, am no better than ye yourselves are, for I am also of the dust. And ye behold that I am old, and am about to yield up this mortal frame to its mother earth. Mosiah 2.27 King Benjamin then tells them the real reason he brought all of them together. That I might be found blameless, and that your blood should not come upon me, when I shall stand to be judged of God of the things whereof he hath commanded me concerning you. In other words, he doesn't want to be responsible for their sins, so he taught them what the Lord told him to teach them. The words, quote, be found blameless, is similar to 1 Timothy 3.10. Mosiah 2.28 I say unto you, that I have caused that ye should assemble yourselves together, that I might rid my garments of your blood. At this period of time when I am about to go down to my grave, that I might go down in peace and my immortal spirit may join the choirs above in singing the praises of a just God. Again, he doesn't want to be held accountable for their sins. Mosiah 2.29 Another thing he wants to tell them is that he can no longer be their teacher nor their king. Mosiah 2.30 In this verse, King Ben announces that his son Mosiah will be their next king and ruler over them. So we have King Mosiah I, who led the people out of the land of Nephi into the land of Zarahemla, then King Benjamin, son of Mosiah I, and now Mosiah II, son of King Benjamin. Mosiah 2.31 Now he says something that sounds a little odd. And now, my brethren, I would that ye should do as ye have hitherto done, as ye have kept my commandments and also the commandments of my father, and have prospered, and have been kept from falling into the hands of your enemies. Even so, if ye shall keep the commandments of my Son, or the commandments of God which shall be delivered unto you by him, ye shall prosper in the land, and your enemies shall have no power over you. Not sure why he called them his commandments and his father's commandments and his son's commandments. Why didn't he just call them God's commandments to begin with? I guess being a king and ruler gives you that much righteous authority that you can act like a god to the people and call them your commandments. Next, King Benjamin warns his people against one of Satan's most effective tools, 
contention. From these verses, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are warned that contention is of the devil, that contention drives away the Holy Ghost. In a conversation with someone who has a different opinion on a gospel topic or issue, a Latter-day Saint can be quick to discern that the feeling of contention is present, thus ending the discussion. Of course, this is ignoring the biblical directive found in Jude 1.3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. End quote. Mosiah 2.32 But, O my people, Beware, lest there shall arise contentions among you, and ye list to obey the evil spirit which was spoken of by my father Mosiah. The words, quote, contentious among you, are also in 1 Corinthians 1.11. Mosiah 2.33 King Benjamin points out how serious it is to knowingly become an evil person. It is like drinking damnation to his soul. Mosiah 2, verses 34-35 then the king emphasizes that the people who are listening to his speech, except for their little children, are accountable for all the things that he has taught them. Mosiah 2.34 The phrase, quote, children that have not been taught, is similar to Numbers 31 verse 18, and, quote, which has been spoken by the holy prophet, is similar to 2 Peter 3.2. Mosiah 2.35 The words, quote, that which was commanded is also in Hebrews 12.20. Mosiah 2.36 Benjamin will again emphasize the seriousness of sinning against knowledge, and he will explain the consequences of it. And now I say unto you, my brethren, that after ye have known and have been taught all these things, if ye should transgress and go contrary to that which has been spoken, that ye do withdraw yourselves from the Spirit of the Lord that it may have no place in you to guide you in wisdom's paths, that ye may be blessed, prospered, and preserved. Mosiah 2.37 I say unto you that the man that doeth this, the same cometh out in open rebellion against God. Therefore he listeth to obey the evil spirit, and becometh an enemy to all righteousness. Therefore the Lord has no place in him, for he dwelleth not in unholy temples. I believe this verse is talking about someone who thinks and acts like Satan himself does. In the next verses, King Benjamin explains what he meant by everlasting punishment. Mosiah 2.38 Therefore, if that man repenteth not, and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, the demands of divine justice do awaken his immortal soul to a lively sense of his own guilt, which doth cause him to shrink from the presence of the Lord and doth fill his breast with guilt, and pain, and anguish, which is like an unquenchable fire, whose flame ascendeth up for ever and ever. The words, quote, unquenchable fire, is the same in Matthew 3.12, and, quote, ascendeth up for ever and ever, is also in Revelation 14.11. Mosiah 2.39 And now I say unto you, that mercy hath no claim on that man, Therefore his final doom is to endure a never-ending torment. Mosiah 2.41 And moreover, I would desire 
that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. O oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Mosiah 3.1 King Benjamin now wants to prophesy about the future and that which is to come. Mosiah 3.2 He learned of these things from an angel who appeared to him while he slept. The words, quote, And behold, he stood, is also in Genesis 41.1. Mosiah 3.3 The angel came to declare, quote, Glad tidings of great joy, which is similar to Luke 2.10. Mosiah 3.4 He tells Benjamin that God has judged him to be a righteous king. The phrase, quote, For the Lord hath heard, is also in Psalm 6.8, and, quote, That they may also be filled with joy, is similar to 2 Timothy 1.4. Mosiah 3.5 We know that King Benjamin and his people already knew of the future birth and mission of Christ from our study in the Book of Mormon so far. But Benjamin is going to tell us one more time about Jesus. For behold, the time cometh, and is not far distant, that with power the Lord Omnipotent who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity, shall come down from heaven among the children of men, and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay, and shall go forth amongst men working mighty miracles, such as healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the lame to walk, the blind to receive their sight, and the deaf to hear, and curing all manner of diseases. His ministry, that is not far distant, is still 150 years away. The word omnipotent is referring to deity having unlimited power, able to do anything. This quality is an attribute given to a monotheistic God. The word omnipotent is of Latin origin via Old French, from the 14th century. How did this word get engraved onto metal plates about 124 BC? This is an example of a linguistic anachronism. Let's read again the first part of Mosiah 3.5. The Lord Omnipotent who reigneth, who was and is from all eternity to all eternity. Has God always existed unchangeable for all eternity to all eternity, like this verse says? Not according to the teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, page 346. Quote, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea. He was once a man like us. End quote. Let's read Moroni 8.18. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. End quote. Well, Joseph, where did we imagine and suppose this? From the Book of Mormon passages. That's where. Who are we supposed to believe? King Benjamin and Mormon? Or Joseph Smith? Mosiah 3.6 And Jesus will cast out devils and evil spirits. The words, quote, shall cast out devils, is similar to Mark 16.17. And, quote, the evil spirits is the same in Acts 19.12. Mosiah 3.7 And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, 
hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every poor, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. This is speaking of the atonement. This verse also goes along with Doctrine and Covenants 19.18. Quote, Which suffering caused in myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, and to bleed at every pore, and suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. End quote. It's important to realize that both passages were revealed, translated, or written by Joseph Smith in 1828 to 1830. During that time, he was still a monotheist. That is why it is God himself who is suffering in those verses. But neither reference mentions where the atonement took place. We know from reading scripture as a whole that it occurred not in the garden, but on the cross. See episode 68 and 69. Links are in the description below. Mosiah 3.8 And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the Creator of all things from the beginning, and his mother shall be called Mary. Did you get that? Jesus Christ is called the Son of God, the Father in heaven and earth, the Creator. That would agree with the title of the Book of Mormon, which says, quote, Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, end quote. The words, quote, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is also in Mark 1.1, and, quote, His mother shall be called Mary, is similar to Matthew 13.55. King Benjamin's prophetic information is so specific that it even includes the name of Jesus' mortal mother, Mary. Mary's name is also mentioned in almost 7.10. No prophet in the Old Testament knew the name of Jesus, no less the name of his mother Mary. Mosiah 3.9 Benjamin tells the people the outcome of Jesus' mortal ministry. He will be scourged and crucified. The words, quote, Lo, he cometh, is also in Exodus 8.20, and, quote, Through faith on his name, is similar to Acts 3.16, and, quote, and say that he hath a devil, is similar to John 10.20, and, quote, and shall scourge him, is similar to Mark 10.34, and, quote, crucify him, is also in Matthew 20, verse 19. Mosiah 3.10 And he shall rise the third day from the dead, and, behold, he standeth to judge the world, and behold, all these things are done, that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. The words, quote, He shall rise the third day, is also in Mark 9.31. And, quote, From the dead, and behold, he, is also in Matthew 28.7. And, quote, To judge the world, is also in John 12.47. And, quote, Righteous judgment, is also in John 7.24. Mosiah 3.11 For behold, and also his blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by the transgression of Adam, who have died not knowing the will of God concerning them, or who have ignorantly sinned. Sounds like it's teaching that those who die, not knowing Christ and the gospel, are saved without any real effort on their part. That might sound like they are the lucky ones because they are unaccountable. 
Mosiah 3, verses 12-13. Benjamin reminds his people who have the gospel here during mortality how serious it is that they live it and that they use repentance for forgiveness of their sins. Mosiah 3.12, the words, quote, Woe, woe unto him, is similar to Ezekiel 16.23. And, quote, He rebelleth against God, is similar to Ezekiel 17.15. And, quote, Faith on the Lord Jesus, is similar to Ephesians 1.15. Mosiah 3.13, the words, quote, To every kindred, nation, and tongue, is similar to Revelation 14.6. And, quote, might receive the remission of their sins, is similar to Acts 10.43. And, quote, Rejoice with exceedingly great joy, is similar to Matthew 2.10. Mosiah 3.14 Next, King Benjamin will explain that the law of Moses was necessary in order to prepare the prideful and rebellious Israelites to receive the Messiah. The phrase, quote, A stiff-necked people is also in Exodus 34.9. Mosiah 3.15 And many signs and wonders and types and shadows showed he unto them concerning his coming. And also holy prophets spake unto them concerning his coming. And yet they hardened their hearts and understood not that the law of Moses availeth nothing except it were through the atonement of his blood. The Jews were convinced in their traditions that taught that the law of Moses can bring salvation. So much so that they crucified Jesus when he taught that he came to fulfill the law. The laws and rituals of the law of Moses were full of types and shadows of the Messiah. The words, quote, many signs and wonders, is also in Acts 5.12. Mosiah 3.16 And even if it were possible that little children could sin, they could not be saved. But I say unto you, they are blessed. For behold, as in Adam or by nature they fall. Even so, the blood of Christ atoneth for their sins. The biblical understanding is that all human beings are born with a sin nature. Religious institutions, like Catholicism and some Protestant churches, teach that children are conceived in sin, and therefore they must be baptized as infants. If they are not baptized and they die, they are doomed forever and can never enter heaven. This was a popular controversy in Joseph Smith's day, whether or not infants needed baptism. Conveniently, this issue was settled in the Book of Mormon. In Moroni chapter 8, we will read more about this teaching. But for now, the LDS Church teaches in Doctrine and Covenants 68 verse 25 that the proper age for children to be baptized is 8 years old. And Doctrine and Covenants 137.10 teaches that, quote, all children who die before they arrive at that age of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven. In fact, Joseph Fielding Smith said in his Doctrine of Salvation, Volume 3, page 65, that these children will choose companions during the millennium, and righteous mortals will be sealed by proxy for them in the LDS temple. But, of course, none of that is biblical. The words, quote, as in Adam, is also in 1 Corinthians 15.22. And, quote, the blood of Christ is in Hebrews 9.14. One change Joseph Smith made in his inspired version of the Bible is in Genesis 17.10-12. through 12. 
where God made a covenant with Abraham requiring circumcision at eight days old. Although this covenant was performed for centuries by all the biblical prophets up to the time of Christ, Joseph Smith changed it from eight days to eight years. See Genesis 17.11 in the Joseph Smith translation. And this change forms the basis for Mormon practice of baptism at eight years. Even though the context of the passage speaks of circumcision and not baptism. Think about it. Would God really wait over 3,000 years, allowing his prophets and his only begotten son to perform the first covenant wrong? Until Joseph Smith comes along in the 1800s and corrects it in the Bible? Of course not. Mosiah 3.17 And moreover, I say unto you, that there shall be no other name given nor any other way, nor means, whereby salvation can come unto the children of men only in and through the name of Christ, the Lord Omnipotent. In the 1830 edition, it read, quote, No other name given, nor no other way. It was changed in the 1964 edition to just, quote, nor, dropping the no. In terms of Mormonism, salvation means exaltation in the celestial kingdom. This verse is similar to Acts 4.12. Mosiah 3.18 Benjamin reminds his people that God's judgment is just and fair. They should become as little children and believe that salvation comes through the atoning blood of Christ, the Lord omnipotent. The words, quote, He judgeth and his judgment is just, is similar to John 5.30 and, quote, drinketh damnation to their own, is similar to 1 Corinthians 11.29, and, quote, and become as little children, is the same in Matthew 18.3, and, quote, was, and is, and is to come, is also in Revelation 4.8, and, quote, blood of Christ, is also in 1 Corinthians 10.16. Mosiah 3.19. King Benjamin teaches how to avoid becoming natural men and women. For the natural man is an enemy to God, and has been from the fall of Adam, and will be for ever and ever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him even as a child doth submit to his father. Modern Mormonism teaches that people are not naturally evil or born that way. Rather, people become that way by violating God's commandments. But this understanding opposes King Benjamin's teaching. The words, quote, the natural man, is also in 1 Corinthians 2.14, and, quote, putteth off the natural man, is similar to Colossians 3.9. Mosiah 3, 20-22 Benjamin prophesies that the knowledge of the Savior will eventually spread throughout the world, and none will be found blameless or without accountability before God, except little children. Mosiah 3, 20 The phrase, quote, The time shall come, is also in John 16, 4, and, quote, Throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, is similar to Revelation 14, 6. Mosiah 3.21, the words, quote, be found blameless, is similar to 1 Timothy 3.10, and, quote, the Lord God omnipotent 
is also in Revelation 19.6. Mosiah 3.22, the phrase, quote, which the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, is similar to Deuteronomy 5.33, and, quote, which I have spoken unto thee, is also in Exodus 32.24. Mosiah 3.24, he tells them that every man will be judged according to his works, which is similar to Revelation 20.13. Mosiah 3.25 And if they be evil, they are consigned to an awful view of their own guilt and abominations, which doth cause them to shrink from the presence of the Lord into a state of misery and endless torment, from whence they can no more return. Therefore they have drunk damnation to their own souls. Mosiah 3.26 Finally, King Benjamin speaks to those who willfully and intentionally rebel against God's commandments. Therefore, they have drunk out of the cup of the wrath of God, which justice could no more deny unto them than it could deny that Adam should fall because of his partaking of the forbidden fruit. Therefore, mercy could have claim on them no more forever. He's speaking about the law of justice and mercy. Mosiah 3.27 And their torment is as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flames are unquenchable, and whose smoke ascendeth up for ever and ever. Thus hath the Lord commanded me. Amen. And this concludes our study for today. For more, you can find this podcast on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook and share this with your friends. Or you can go to our website at TalkingToMormons.com where you can download the script and learn much more. Links are in the description. Remember, Jesus is enough.